Good morning, Hope. Welcome to this Sunday morning gathering. Well, we're not gathered. I, I wish you were sitting out here in front of me today, but uh, knowing the date and the timing of this particular Sunday and with the travels of a lot of our folks that serve so greatly, we just knew it was a Sunday to, to take a pause and uh, come together in this, in this format and let God's Word speak to us in this Sunday that really is one of those between dates in the calendar. It's between the Christmas and the New Year. It's uh, between the celebration of, of, of what God's blessings are in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ, to the hope that that brings and, and then a hope in the new year that we have. But we're in that in between. And as I was praying over today and just what to bring to you, I thought about teaching a lesson out of a book of Philippians about how do we live in the in-between because so much of life is, is really found there. I, I've thought of the title of this message and I was just again praying through it and, and, and I was reminded of a song I, I sang as a kid. I, I, grew up, I grew up in church. I mean, we, we grew up, I'm, I have fond memories of Sunday school and flannel graph camels and Sunday school teachers and little kids choirs and, and, and some of the songs we sang never leave you. And one of those was, he's got the whole world in his hands. And you know, that was an easy song to sing because it basically repeated that phrase over and over and over again. And as a child, it was an easy song to believe. He's got the whole world in his hands. But, you know, it, it seems as we grow in life and we start dealing with the uncertainties and, the, and we're caught in the in-betweens of life between God's promises and, and his provision, it's, it sometimes causes us to pause and maybe challenge the premise of that song because things come our way, like sickness and disease and financial distress, natural disasters. I, I think of the year we're wrapping up, we've, we've had a little bit of everything that, that if our faith is not strong, it, it could have shaken us. And, and really, as we come to that, we've got to recognize that we live in a world that seems uncertain all the time. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of worry and stress out there. And, uh, and yet God has called us as followers of Christ to, to be those who put our faith in Him and learn to walk with faith in Him so that our witness will lead others also to put their faith in the promises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I think about uncertainty, and I think about that thought of, does he have the whole world in his hands? But it seems like God's favorite environment for getting more accomplished is uncertainty. I mean, if you think about it, uncertainty creates things in us that wake us up to our, our faith and our understanding of who God is. Uh, they, they create fear and insecurity, but at the same time, it's in those moments that God really gets our attention. It's in those moments that the nation's attention can be focused on God. It's, it's in those moments that people repent of sin and, and our values are reshuffled. And that which really does matter tends to rise to the top when we're put in places and times of uncertainty. I mean, think about it. How many of you found or returned to Christ in a time of uncertainty in your life? I, I think a lot of us would raise our hands and say, that, that's me. It, it wasn't when everything was going great that I woke up and said, I think I'll, I'll accept Christ. It, it's in those moments of, of seeming crisis that we recognize there is a God who loves us. We can trust Him, but we have to surrender our lives to Him. You know, it's interesting, and I, I think this is a true statement, and that is that God gets more done in the bumps along the way than He does in the smooth paved roads of life. Ba basically, we don't learn a whole lot when everything's going smoothly. We really don't grow a whole lot. We just kind of have a tendency to coast. In fact, many who claim to have relationships with Christ tend to drift in their walk with God and drift in their lives when things are mostly going their way. And I believe it's in those times 
that we, we need to really come back and recognize when we maybe we don't feel like he has the whole world in our hands. It's in those times that we need to be reminded of the relevancy of God's word in our life. In fact, I'd encourage you to pick up your Bibles and uh, if, they, if they have dust on them, dust them off or whatever, whatever way you obtain the Bible and let God's Word speak to you as I teach through a lesson out of Philippians chapter 4 today. You see, the Bible is a record of God's faithfulness in uncertain times. And it is a record of God's faithfulness to both faithless and faithful people, which we all fit in those categories. In fact, most of what we're given in the scriptures was written in environments of uncertainty by people who faced extraordinary challenges. I mean, pick your favorite Bible story, your favorite Bible character. Uh, what was going on? Think about it. They weren't laying on the beach. They, they weren't uh, vacationing in the mountains. No, they were faced with challenges. David, Goliath. Moses at the Red Sea. I mean, you just go there in your mind through the Word and you recognize something. that The Bible is not filled with feel-good messages for a world we don't live in. In the Bible, we find God speaking directly into the uncertainty of our lives. And we see His hand, we see His promise, and we understand His faithfulness even in the midst of uncertainty. You see, the Bible's filled with stories of people facing uncertainty, discovering that God not only isn't absent, but he's often diligently working, accomplishing his will in them and in us and in this world and in the lives of those he loves. In fact, we're reminded how, how very much God is in control and how absolutely we are not. And it's humbling, but it's true. And we have to understand that and put our faith there. In fact, when we read the Bible, we're shown that, that even the season we're in, as crazy as your 2020 has been, as crazy as your journey has been, it's nothing unusual compared to the lives of those we read about in the Bible. It's nothing new under the sun, as the Word says. It's in these times like these, we need to really read and apply God's promises because guess what? They don't change based on changing times. God's Word has not been revised or rewritten because culture has changed or life has changed. His Word is the same yesterday, day, and forever. It is, it is faithful and we can put our faith in. I mean, think about this promise. This is one that we, we like to quote in uncertain times, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. Now, some of you experience that. You know it. You, others, you believe it. Others, others, you're not so sure. And I think it challenges us. In fact, this is a very challenging verse to me. It challenges us because of the uncertainty that surrounds our circumstances, even when we pray and give them to God. You see, the question I want to try to answer today, and as we're going to look in, the, in this promise out of Philippians 4, is, is simply this. What are we supposed to do in the in-between? What are we supposed to do? How do we act? How do we walk? How do we trust in the middle of the in-between? It's the time between us trusting, praying, and seeing God work in our circumstances for good. Because though we've prayed about Him, we're still hurting. Though we've given them to Him, we may still feel lonely, or, or we're still broke, or without a job, or we're still uncertain. But the great news is there's a very specific answer in the Bible of how we are to walk through those times. So, so what should we do? Let, let's just walk into this teaching with that thought. What should we do? So today I want us to, to hear from an expert in this area. In fact, if you're, if you're not a believer, maybe you're home for the holidays and you, you got to promise some like cinnamon rolls or something to sit in front of the TV and watch this bald preacher preach, that, that if you're not a believer, I want to tell you something, I'm glad you're here. Because if your uncertainty begins to drive you into 
self-destructive or relationship-destructive directions, I want you to know there's an alternative. And the alternative is found in God's Word, written to you by God who loves you greatly. So turn to Philippians 4, and we're going to focus on verse 4. But let me give you the context, because context in this particular teaching is very, very critical. It's a letter to the Christians in a, in, a, in a town called Philippi. It was the first church in Europe. It was a letter written from Rome by the Apostle Paul. And I, I've got to tell you a little bit about Paul because it's who wrote these verses that make them believable. I, in fact, I'll be honest. If, if I got up here and just read these verses with you with no context, I, I think many would be able to say, I'm not taking notes. I'm not listening. I'm just closing it up because obviously that person who wrote that doesn't know how, how my life has gone. They, they don't have any context to know what I have experienced. They don't feel what I feel. They've not seen what I've seen or done what I've done. But can I tell you, it is Paul's life that gives these verses credibility. Here, here's a story. You know, Paul was one that, that, that God absolutely disrupted his life. I mean, he engaged him when Paul was going opposite of the way of Christianity. In fact, he was persecuting the church. And when he was arrested by God's love and by God's attention, he became an evangelist of the gospel message. And Paul left Jerusalem after a, a season of being with the disciples, and he, and, he, and he went out to plant churches to tell others about this Savior who died for them and rose from the grave. And now, now, now think about this for a second, if you can. Imagine this Jewish man going out into the Hellenistic Greek Roman society of Europe and saying, hey... I'd like, to tell you, I'd like to tell you something about God because how you think about God is absolutely wrong. In fact, I want you to adopt a new belief system, abandon everything you've ever been taught, and begin to think differently about this God. And oh yeah, by the way, my name is Paul, and you never heard from me. I'm, I'm from Jerusalem. I'm sort of part of this, what you might call a Jewish cult, but I want you to listen to me. I mean, how in the world Christianity ever made it out of Palestine is just unbelievable when you think about this. But somehow, he was able to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of the whole world, and he started this church in this town of Philippi. Now, over a course of time after this church was up and going, he, he, he decided to go back to Jerusalem to, to meet with the disciples again, even though he'd been warned uh, not to do so because the Jewish leaders were very, very upset with what Paul was doing. They, they felt he was corrupting Judaism as he was teaching in, in Philippi because he was telling people like us, mostly non-Jewish people, that you can worship the Jewish God and you can be loved by the Jewish God, but you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to eat the right things, or you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law. God sent his son to cover all of that, but yet you have to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Lord of all. So while he's in Jerusalem, he's, 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 he goes to the temple. He's still honoring the way. And in that temple, he was, he was attacked by the, the Jewish leaders of the day, and they, they drug him out into the square, and they prepared to kill him. In fact, they were ready to take his life. But thankfully for Paul's sake and for our sake, someone said, call the police. And in that day, the Roman soldiers were the police because they were occupying Palestine. And they, they showed up to rescue him. And, and quite honestly, if you understand the history of that period, they would have just killed him uh, to keep the peace in Palestine. If it weren't for the fact that Paul pointed out something very critical, and that was that he also happened to be a Roman citizen. All of a sudden, there's a whole different set of rules came in being. All of a sudden, this set, different set of laws. So they decided to send Paul to Rome for trial on these ridiculous charges that they knew had nothing to do with Rome at all. They just wanted to keep the peace in Palestine. So now go, me, go with me a little bit further into Paul's life. So now he's under arrest. 
And they chain him up with other prisoners. They put him on a ship, and they're going to sail them to Rome. Can you imagine down in the cargo hold of a ship, bound in chains, heading out, only to be met by this horrific storm they couldn't see coming that swept them out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and they were lost in sea for, for two weeks, tossed, turned, thrown. I mean, they, they despaired for life, the Word of God says. Ultimately, they were shipwrecked. Now, another couple of months go by, and they're shipwrecked on an island where all kind of crazy things happen. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But ultimately, they finally got to Rome. And when they got there, Paul's case was so far down the line in the, in the, in the courts of Rome that, that literally they put him under house arrest for two years. And it was in this house arrest that he began to write these letters to the churches that we know as the epistles in the New Testament. And, and while he was in prison, he, he began, to, began to show these teachings that came out of his experience. And that's the reason it's important for us to know that. It's important because what he's about to say seems extremely impractical, but you can't really argue with the source. Because whatever your difficulty might be, you wouldn't want to tell your story right before Paul got up to tell his story. Have you ever done that? It's like, you know, a bunch of guys that go out fishing and come back and you think you've caught a big fish only for someone else to follow you and go, oh, if you think that was big, let me tell you what I caught. Well, that'd be the same way as trying to stand in front of an audience and say, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And then the next speaker up is the apostle Paul and says, really, when was the last time you got stoned and and was left for dead? When, when was the last time you were whipped or arrested and shipwrecked and snake bit and, and beaten to an inch of your life and now waiting for trial in Rome and ultimately we know ending up losing his, his head? In fact, after two years, and this is kind of the end of Paul's story, maybe two, three years, they came to his house one day and they said, Paul, we're going to take a long walk. And in those days, in that terms to a prisoner, that meant it's over. And sure enough, outside of Rome, that his life was, was taken. But he wrote these words while he was there. In Philippians 4, 4, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Be in this state of happiness and well-being. Be glad always. And if he had written, just rejoice always and stop there, we should close the book. We should walk away and we should just forget about it. If it weren't for three words, they were in the middle of his statement. Three words that change everything. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> I will say it again, rejoice. I mean, think about this. What he was saying was, you have a reason for rejoicing. There is a focus of that. There's an object of that, of that rejoicing. It's, it's a, it'd be to compare today to something very uh, temporal in our lives. It'd be like saying, hey, rejoice that your child graduated. Or rejoice in that uh, Christmas bonus. Or re- rejoice in that big sale. Or, 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 or rejoice, if they're really hopeful, rejoice in the thought that maybe the Panthers will get a good draft pick and play football one of these days. It's, it's simply focusing on an object And saying, that object is the reason I rejoice. He says, look, I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated with the fact that by God's grace and God's mercy, your life is found in Him in spite of your circumstances. He said, I want you to stop and allow that to sink in, whatever it takes to get it into your core and focus on it so much that you actually begin to start feeling the emotion of what it means to be saved to be set free, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to have the promises of God meant for you. And allow those emotions to to come around that great news, and now you can rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Now think about that. This, this even thought stands in stark contrast to Paul's circumstances. I mean, there's no question of the matter. And it stands in stark contrast to a lot of our circumstances. But what he's saying is reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. You know, that's why we sing on Sunday mornings. That's why we want you to get up and and, and put your hands together and clap and raise your hands and lift your voice because there's, there's, a, there's a purpose in engaging truth so much that it engages our emotions to the point that now the focus is not an experience, but the focus on why we are experiencing it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's the reason we cheer and shout and dance and clap at baptisms. Why? Because we're celebrating a reality that a life has been changed because of what Christ did for us. And now it engages us in such a way that it becomes part of our story. So he says, rejoice, Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Now, this is critical. Because what he's saying is this, and I think it's a great lesson for 2020. He says, don't let hard times begin to, ero- to be- begin to erode your integrity and your character. In other words, don't, don't allow your fuse to get so short because of the inequities, the unfairness, and the, the things you didn't get to do, and the way you think things ought to be done, and then why things are so tough. Don't let your fuse grow so short that you begin to destroy the relationships with the people you have around you who actually love you. Sadly, so many have pushed people away in this season we've been in. Sadly, someone have been separated, not by the virus, but by allowing the things around us to erode our character and our integrity. You see, we should not let uncertainty take its toll on our character ever, because uncertainty is certain. It's always going to be there. But our character should be certain also. I mean, think about this kindness the Word of God says is a fruit of the Spirit. It, is a, it springs out of us when our hope and faith are in Jesus Christ. And often our kindness really is a marketing tool, so to speak, and an overflow of the things that, that because life is going our way. But what Paul is saying is it's a better marketing tool when things are not going our way. It's a better witness when life is uncertain. It's a better witness when the expectation is you ought to be angry, you ought to be mad, you ought to be hard to get along with, but instead, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. I mean, think about it. How has this year's uncertainty affected your responses to those around you? How has it affected your temper? How has it affected your nerves? Listen, the Lord is near, and that's what brings us hope, because if this is all there is to life, then yes, panic. <laughs> panic. If our hands are in the hands of the government or whomever else, panic. But there's more. Our Lord is near. He's with us, and there's no reason for us to allow our circumstances to cause us to misrepresent the Lord by mistreating those He died for. Let that sink in. Verse 6, he goes on and says, Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> I always want to write my Bible beside that. Yeah, right. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be troubled, distracted by the future or what might happen. Don't brood on it. Don't focus on it. Listen, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but he's smart. And he's smart enough to know that you just can't leave it there and, and, and just expect people to buy that. In fact, in the next two verses, he gives the secret behind that statement, the secret of not being anxious, anxious in the middle of difficult times. You see, he doesn't say what I think a lot of times we mis, misinterpret this to say. He's not simply saying, quit worrying. Stop it. 
Now listen, listen to the rest of the formula because it is so great if we get it and we learn to function in this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, now think about it. The reason he loads this up with prayer and petition is he recognizes that in the midst of uncertainty, our, our emotions go way beyond just crying out, Lord, help, help us. No, if we read it that way, do not be anxious about anything but in everything situation pray, we really miss the meaning of this verse. I mean, but that's how most of us interpret it. And, and, and honestly, when we do it that way, we, we really get frustrated. Pray, what do you think I've been doing? You're telling me not be anxious and pray. What do you think? You think I haven't prayed about this? I mean, I probably prayed more about this than anything else in my life. I pray all the time about this, and instead of being gentle, we get riled up at that very thought of someone telling us not to be anxious but to pray. We've prayed, God help us. God save us. God send something. We're telling God what we need, but yet it's not bringing that, it's not bringing that relief to the anxiety. You see, if you want to look at the verse again, it says, in every situation, now look at these words, by prayer, but he doesn't stop there because that's, that's, that's not all he's talking about. He says, and petition. Well, isn't that the same as prayer? Yeah, but he's, he's going somewhere. That by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and here's the word that changes everything, and that is, he says, present. Present your requests to God. The word present in the, in the original Greek language that he would have brought this out in is the word reveal. That would probably be a better understanding of it. And, and it really it, it speaks about revealing our request to God. It's associated with revealing a mystery or, or, or something that previously, previously was unknown. You see, he's saying when we present our request to God, it is not about informing God. God, God already knows what we need. He says we're to bring our request to him, our, our petitions to him. But we're not informing God, but what we're really doing when we present them to God is we are discovering for ourselves what really is behind our request. What is the fear? What is the anxiety? What is the uncertainty? What is the desire that I'm really trying to reveal to God? Because that's when prayer gets real. It's not the request, it's the what's behind the request. You see, one thing I know about uncertainty is this. Uncertainty has a way of surfacing our deepest insecurities and our hidden values. And when we move past that, 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 that base layer of prayer, God, I need a job. God, I, I need to sell my house. God, help me close the deal. Really, when we get beyond that, we get to the legitimate request and understand that really what we're saying to God is this. God, I'm concerned about my security. God, I, I, I'm concerned about my family. I'm, I'm concerned about my need to feel important again. I, I need to be viewed in a certain way by my peers. I fear that, that God doesn't know I, I'm even here or care. We're getting down now into the realities of what has touched the core of who we are. It, it's more than the job. It's the reason behind the job. It's more than the healing. It's the, it's the reason behind the healing. He says we are to present this in a way to God with thanksgiving. But very few of us pray at that level. Very few of us pray at that level of insecurity. Most of us pray at the level of, God, here's what I want, here's what I need, in Jesus' name, amen, now go do it. And yet we've never come to that place of rejoicing in the Lord always, bringing our requests to God with thanksgiving, presenting them, revealing them to God. You see that fear 
that we don't want to admit that's behind so much of our requests. If we explore it, it reveals our deepest desires. It really reveals that, that who we are and what it is, that connection we have with God that we're, we've tried to cover up with the flowery language of some prayers. You see, when we are able to discover and give to God these deep, otherwise unknown desires, he says something happens then. That doesn't happen when you're just making requests. Something happens when we get real with God that doesn't happen when all we're doing is panic praying and throwing out, here's what I want, God, in Jesus' name, amen. You see, something happens when you begin to understand your deepest, darkest, most bottom line, most hidden desires, fears, and insecurities. When you move past the, help me find my car keys, God, because I don't want to be late for work, you, you, you can answer the question, why is that such a big deal to you in this moment? Why are you so concerned, so concerned about it? Why is it important to you and really what's underneath all of that? And when you bring that to God, when you really get down into it and understand the why behind the request, look what happens. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God. <laughs> now, Paul, if we were in Paul's shoes, we, we might not have been praying for the peace of God when we were jailed in Rome. We might have been praying for escape. You know, God, get us out of Rome. But that's not what he was praying. He was praying in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I think that's pretty obvious peace that doesn't make sense based on our circumstances peace that comes even though nothing else has changed i shared paul's story earlier with you he he ended up losing his head he died for his faith he didn't get out of rome can i tell you but he said the peace that passes all understanding allowed him to remain peaceful in the midst of the uncertainty i i, I always have loved c.s lewis's writings and he wrote this about prayer. He said, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. <laughs> prayer is about changing me. Because you pray until the peace comes. You pray until the peace comes. How does it come? He says, in the peace of God, which transcends all, transcends all understanding, will do something. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's this picture of when we get down to this level of prayer where we have come to understand the desires behind it and the fears that are driving it and the uncertainties we're, we're, we're lost in, he says, then you allow God to stand up and stand guard over your heart and your mind, keeping the uncertainty from controlling your emotions and your mind. We're so often anxiety-ridden, not because we, we pray, because we really haven't invited our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our hearts and our minds. Oh, we, we keep trying to send Him out there to stand guard, but it, we, we look at the superficial. God, stand guard over my job. God, stand guard over my kids, my house. Wouldn't it be different <laughs> if God says, if you get real with me, if you, if you come down to understanding the why behind the request, if you understand the feeling, the emotion the, that you're really dealing with, can you imagine what it would be like if you really allowed me to stand guard over your heart and your mind? I mean, think about that. Peace in spite of the fact that we're still in uncertainty. Peace in the midst of, of, of un, unchanging circumstances that we, we want to change in a better way. Peace in, in, a, in the face of stress or high anxiety. We learn to pray in such a way that at the end of the prayer, we find peace. What Paul is saying is this, and I, I think it's really the, the statement of the day out of this teaching, and that is what C.S. Lewis referred to all ago. We've got to learn to pray until the peace comes. We've got to learn to pray until the peace comes. Have you ever experienced that? 
I mean, chaos. <laughs> things are, and maybe your house right now. I mean, things are happening all around us. And yet in the middle of it, you're like, God, I have this incredible, unique calm that I can't explain. And it's not God because I don't need things. It's not God because I don't want change. But God, it's because I've given you permission to guard my heart and my mind because, God, I've gotten down to a base level to say, God, honestly, I'm fearful. Maybe I'm struggling. God, I'm hurting. God, I need you. And when we do that, we're opening the door and we're saying, God, I want to pray through this until I finally find the place where I realize I can do absolutely nothing to change my circumstance. God, the uncertainty is beyond me, but I put my faith in a certain God who said he is with me always, even to the ends of the earth, will never leave me nor forsake me. And God, you do something supernaturally in me that no one else can explain, and that is you bring peace. That surpasses my understanding. Pray until the peace comes. Now, you know, the reality is sometimes God intervenes in our circumstances and we find the job. Sometimes God intervenes in our circumstances and the healing comes. We're accepted. We close the deal. She comes home. But there are also times when peace is the only thing that does come. We're still caught in the middle. We're still in that waiting. But oh, I'd rather be waiting in peace than waiting in distress. I'd rather be waiting in peace knowing my God has the whole world in his hands than, than to just languish in the distress of my own making because somehow I've got to fix it when I know I can't. You see, when we pray till the peace comes, it, it doesn't mean, just to clarify, it doesn't mean we don't do what we know to do. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean you, you don't, you're not on Indeed.com and you're not searching everywhere and your LinkedIn is up to date and all that because you're trying to find a job. It doesn't mean that. We do what we know to do. But it does mean that instead of allowing our, our anxiety to get the best of us, we put it in God's hands. We say, God, it's in your hands. Lord, you know where you want me to work. God, you know how you want to provide for my family. You've promised that. I've entrusted you, God. I've, I've followed your word and your promises, God. I've obeyed your commands. I'm trusting you. It's about placing our lives in God's hands when, when what only God's hands are capable of handling. It's praying again until the peace comes. And I want to help you with that. In fact, I want to give you kind of a, a beginning of a prayer so that you can maybe learn to pray this way, and, and you'll see it, and we'll have that up for you. It says, it says this way, pray. Heavenly Father, I need, and, and then you fill in the blank. That, that's the superficial. <laughs> I need this bill paid. I, I need my daughter to come see me. I need, I need my, my friends to become my friends again. And then you finish it with, and I'm afraid that if I don't, then you're starting to get real. Then, then, I, then I'll feel that I'm not significant, God. Then, then I'll feel that I'm not cared for. God, if not, then I, I'll feel I don't matter. God, the reason I'm so anxious is, God, I'm afraid that if I, if I don't do this, people are going to look at me differently, God, as somehow I can't provide. And then when we do that, what we're doing is we're getting into that reality of now presenting our requests of God. And I know for some, you're like, well, Mike, I don't like that because I'm not afraid of anything. Well, <laughs> maybe you just don't know it, but we all have fears we face. There are things if circumstances change, you find out real quickly what you fear. Maybe you fear of loss of your reputation. Maybe you fear a, lot, a lack of standing. Maybe, maybe you fear that this wonderful place you live or whatever else might not be there after a while. Can I tell you, there's something in all of us that if we get down to the core of it, we recognize in our humanity how much we need a God who is greater than us. A supernatural God that brings peace that passes understanding. 
You see, when we make our request known to God, we hand it off to Him, then we can stand in the promise of this message and the promise of Paul's teaching, and that is this. When life is uncertain, God is not. Think about that. When life is uncertain, God is not. He still has the whole world in His hands. Can I pray for you this morning? Maybe you just needed to hear that last statement. He still has this whole world in His hands. Until Jesus Christ returns for us, can I tell you, God is at work in our world. He's at work in your world. He knows right where you are. And we begin to learn to pray this way. We begin to learn to rejoice in the Lord always. We begin to present to God really what it is we're dealing with and not just the superficial. That peace is going to come. And that could be the greatest gift you could ever receive in 2020. So pray with me. Father, thank you. God, that, Lord, your word has promised something we can't obtain on ourselves. God, I thank you your word once again points us to a certain God in the midst of uncertainty. God, I thank you your word is full of examples, oh God, that we can read about and study and see that, God, there is a, there's an understanding that you are God in the midst of whatever the circumstance is. God, even if those circumstances don't change. God, I le- pray that we learn to stand in that, God, today. Father, I pray that, Lord, as our stories are written and and, and time passes on, God, I I pray that, Lord, we'd be known as a people that stood in the middle of uncertainties and said our trust is in the Lord our God and our hope is in Him. And maybe you weren't able to pray that this morning. Maybe, maybe again, you were bribed with cinnamon rolls to sit and listen to this guy today. Maybe you're wondering what it is to know God. Can I tell you, you can know Him right now. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? It means when we recognize what Jesus Christ did, who he was, we've been talking about that at Christmas, he's more than a baby in a manger, he came to be our Savior, ultimately to die on the cross for our sin, to pay a penalty we could not pay because we had failed God in our sinfulness, and now to bring us in that place where now we walk with God, we know God, and we relate to God in a, in a fresh way. It begins by simply this, acknowledging who Jesus is, what he's done, and surrendering your life to him it's praying god would you become the lord of my life not not just an idol not not something i just go to when i'm in trouble but the lord of my life lead me guide me correct me direct me god protect me he'll do just that maybe today is the day for that in your life what a difference that would make in this year and for all eternity